Live with KWRC TV. Uh, things are a little bit different, but kind of the same, but a little bit different. It's all good. I'm here today with one half of the Silbernagle uh, duo, Dylan Silbernagle. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Gary. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for stepping in. I, I We'll decide later, but Jen's not here. If this is going to be better or the same, or perhaps Jen leads the show. We Well, we all know Jen leads the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say that knowing that you're here, I can tell you that I think that she leads the show. <laughs> but I got to say that you guys make it look so easy uh, week in and week out. And so if anything, I've got some big shoes to fill. Well, there you go. Yeah. D -d Don't we both? <laughs> Don't we both? Well, today yeah. <laughs> we've got uh, lots in store. Uh, the, the September market is starting to ramp up as everyone's kind of back to school. Their kids are back to school and and parents are finding their groove again a little bit and, and all sorts of stuff. So what are we going to talk about today, Dylan? We got schedule B stuff. We've got um, adjustments, which we talked about in the past, but I'm going to throw a different spin on it today. Uh, we talk about a little bit how to analyze or how to look at the stats or what stats we should be providing our clients. And um, a question that you had come up um, in what, with one of your coaching clients was all about vacant land. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all of these these subjects, in particular the vacant land one, because I think it's just coming up so much more frequently these days as people are, one, we have low inventory, so people are having a hard time finding what they're looking for. And two, without having to drive to a set workplace all the time, people are looking to dream their build their dream home a little bit further out. So it's something that we're seeing pop up much more frequently. Yeah, absolutely. So let's do this. Let's roll the intro. We'll get right into, uh, I think it's Schedule B is first up on the list, and uh, we'll have some fun with it. Yes. Okay. So here we go. We're going to um, roll right into Schedule B. And this kind of came out of a conversation that you and I had earlier today because I was looking at a listing and I said, have you ever heard of this before? It's something that kind of came out of the Schedule B and then the conversation turned into how carefully, Dylan, are we reading those Schedule Bs by other listing brokerages, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another one that stems right to it is how well are you communicating that to your clients? And are you making sure that you're before you're signing all your paperwork as well, right? And that you're able to communicate what all that means to them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a little bit of audio lag and so forth with Dylan and myself, but don't worry, stay with us. Yeah. This is great content. We'll get it all up there. If you have questions, of course, post it there, uh, comments and, and the schedule B, um, I think the first things first is, you know, at, at KWRC, we have a very extensive Schedule B, but that comes out of uh, experience that our, our leadership has seen in the industry. And it's there to protect uh, not only the, um, the, the seller, but as well as the buyer. It's there to protect both sides. And from time to time, we come across listings and we're putting together offers. And sometimes there's very little to the schedule B Dylan. I'm sure you've seen, or sometimes not at all. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's, it's literally just the deposit clause. How is the deposit being dealt with? And that may be the only clause on that schedule B. 
Yeah. And one of the questions that I often see, and I get it, I, and, and I'm happy agents are asking questions, but sometimes there's no schedule B and the question will come back and maybe you've seen it in, in your coaching uh, group there that you coach, you know, do I need to provide a schedule B? Well, yes, if the listing brokers provides one, but no, if they don't, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a requirement, right? It's not a requirement for your contract. But if it is something that the listing brokerage is providing, that that's part of what their setup is for the agreement, then yeah, it should be included. Absolutely. And, and when things are, you know, as we kind of alluded to, uh, maybe it's a very small schedule B or, or, or not much, not a lot of content. Uh, there's some clauses in there that we often use in our schedule B or things that you'd want in there. And when we were chatting earlier today, uh, what, what are a couple of those clauses that we should never really miss, miss on uh, in a schedule B, Dylan? Yeah. So one of them that you always just want to make sure that what's on the schedule B isn't conflicting with your schedule A. Uh, and so one of the ones that I see on there very often is all chattels and fixtures, unless otherwise stated, are in as-is condition. And sometimes they don't even state, in, unless otherwise stated, they'll just say in as-is condition. So, you know, that's that's a big one that I see pop up um, that's on those Schedule Bs that you want to make sure. We Sometimes we use Schedule Bs to make sure there's more clarity to a deal, especially how things are being handled in regards to closing. like that much more confusing in terms of closing on a, a transaction. Do you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, it doesn't matter if it's schedule A, B, C, D, E, F. It doesn't matter. Uh, we never want to contradict a previous clause or condition, especially in the pre-printed stuff. Uh, you, as Dylan said, you might provide some clarity. Um, and, and there's a great question here by, by Gail, which takes precedence if A or B, and from what I understand, we'd certainly want to uh, broker records input on here, but the most, uh, the last clause read in the purchase of sale agreement typically takes precedent because uh, it might say something different, but you never really want to contradict yourself uh, from that perspective. And the other piece here too is, and, and we've seen this a lot, uh, especially in a hot, hot market where we're putting together offers with no financing condition and we're all incredibly happy. We could submit an offer and there's no financing on it. We send it over and we tell the agent, uh, for lack of a better phrase, it's a clean offer, um, meaning no, no conditions on it. But our buyers and, and we, we already know that we're going to get financing on it. And there's most likely a very high percentage chance that we're going to have an appraisal on it. So instead of almost that surprise, you know, three or four weeks before closing and you call up the listing agent and say, hey, I need to book an appraisal, put that in the offer, right? Put that in the offer. I can't remember the exact phrase or, or sentence that it would be, but um, basically you're telling the, the sellers that although this purchase and sale agreement does not have a financing condition on it, we are still going to go get financing. And it's in, in the likely event that an appraisal will have to take place. And it, that's just upfront center. Everyone knows about it. Everyone knows to expect that phone call. And that's a good practice to be in. That keeps everybody on the same page as well. I've used that clause many times in the past and I've gotten compliments from the other side, the, the listing side saying, wow, I've never seen a, a clause like that. Or I'm so glad you put that in there because often a lot of people uh, mistake that or forget it. So it's important to protect our clients uh, regardless of what the schedule B's look like. And there's an interesting um, 
uh, comment that came up today. So I'm going to share my screen here. Dylan, you still with us? You're kind of frozen there. I'll just keep chatting away and you give me the thumbs up here. But I saw this earlier today. The buyer in the schedule B, the buyer agrees to provide the listing brokers with his or her residential address and telephone number within two business days of acceptance of this agreement of purchase and sale and authorize the listing brokers to provide the same to the seller solicitor. So um, from a buyer's perspective, that was kind of a hard no on my on my side and I actually called our our uh, one of our broker records and they, they agreed as well because we have an agency contract uh, between our buyer, right? And we don't want to be offering off that information to a listing brokerage because they don't have that agency contract. Uh, the buying brokerage or our brokerage in this case does. So read it carefully because a lot of the times uh, I'll see Schedule Bs come up and we download it. We, we're so fast to enter um, the, the purchase and sale agreement and we want to get it off to our clients, but take the time, whether it's one paragraph or two or three pages, read it because it is our position as realtors protect our clients, whether you're on the listing side or on the broker uh, on the uh, buying side, it's incredibly important uh, to make sure that that happens for sure, for sure. So uh, I'm assuming Dylan's going to come back to us. Um, we'll see what's going on here and we'll get them all connected up. And uh, if you've got questions about that, uh, make sure that you are asking um, I'm just sending Dylan a, a, a note here. You still with us? That's my question. That's my question for Dylan. Is Are you still with us? Anyways, um, it's important that you read and take the time to understand uh, the purchase and sale agreements and those Schedule Bs because sometimes they can get confusing. And we got to be in a position, as Dylan said earlier, to explain that to our clients and what it means and uh, and understand the ramifications of each each condition and clause uh, throughout the uh, throughout the uh, purchase and sale agreement. Okay, I'm going to move on and um, hopefully Dylan can get, get in touch with us again. So adjustments, as we see a, um, a frozen Dylan and I see your question there, Gail, how did you push back if you're competing and you don't lo love something the schedule B from the other brokers? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Uh, when you are competing and you start making changes in the schedule B that can provide, uh, that might give the selling brokers an opportunity to say no. We never want to put them in a position or the, the sellers to say no. However, there are some things within the Schedule B that perhaps a phone call or two uh, to the listing agents uh, certainly will provide you with some clarity. Maybe there's a different reason for why uh, something specific is in there and, um, and, and we can figure out all that out along the way. We are back. Good. We've had the best two minutes ever. <laughs> I had I had to watch you live on Facebook while I was sitting here waiting for this thing to reload. You did a great job, Gary. Yeah, I was I was just bantering, <laughs> just bantering. Gail had a great great question here, and I'll bring that back up. Um, in regards to uh, there we are. In regards to the schedule B, and if we're making changes in in a, um, in a scenario where there's competing offers, and. Uh, and yeah, Gail was trying to fill in for us asking questions. I thank you for that, Gail. Uh, how did you push back? How do you get, do push back if you're competing and don't love something in a Schedule B from the other brokers? So I, I was mentioning Dylan, you know, you know, a phone call to the listing agents probably should be the first on first things to do on that list, right? To get clarity on the yeah. Schedule B. 
Yeah, I think always seek first to understand, right? And see, see what the intention of the clause is there and then share, of course, your reasoning for why you don't like it, right? And see if you can find some middle ground uh, to make that happen so that you aren't, je- the, the important thing is that you're still protecting your clients, like that's first and foremost. And I'm assuming that's why you're making that call in the first place. And then sharing with that listing agent, hey, here's here's the concerns that me and my buyers have with that clause that you've got on your Schedule B. Um, and and to be honest, it's either we need to we need to tweak it a little bit, or we need to take it right out if we're going to be the guys that uh, that work with you tonight. Yeah, and that's just it. And I love to seek first to understand, get some clarity around it. And um, in 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 some cases, perhaps that agent is either uh, new to that brokerage or or maybe they don't have experience with that schedule B. So make sure that you are asking those clarity questions of need be talk to the broker record to get, you know, that the true clarity as well. So uh, very, very good. Okay. Um, I I would add in there as well. Just if, if you really have a concern about it, make sure you reach out to our broker hotline as well and get their take on it just to, just to kind of protect yourself and protect your client one step further. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, Adjustments. We've talked about this uh, with Jen in the past, and um, I threw something out at Jen a few months ago, and I mentioned it to Dylan. He's like, "What? I like it. Okay, let's talk about it." <laughs> and um, you know, I, adjustments is a clause within our purchase of sale agreement on the, on the pre-printed clauses. I actually think. Um, do I have it here? Do I have it here? I need some um, music in the background playing. Maybe I don't. I thought I did. I was sure that I did. Anyways, so adjustments is something that our lawyers take care of from that perspective. And when we close on a property on closing day, who pays for what? Uh, that's that's really what it is. And I thought I had the clause here. I'm going to bring it up. I know I do. Um, we're, get, we're just going to do this. Yeah. See there? That works. Uh, Beautiful. Right? This is right out of the pre-printed clauses. There we go. Uh any rents here, I'll try and read it for us. Any rents, mortgage interest, realty taxes, including local improvement rates uh, and unmetered public or private utility charges, unmetered costs of fuel as applicable shall be apportioned and allowed to the day of completion. The day of completion itself is apportioned to the buyer. So what does that mean? Basically on closing day, buyers pay things up until closing day. And then from the closing day going uh, out, of course, you as the new owner, uh, you pay for everything. However, Here's, here's where I kind of throw a curveball at Dylan and Jen in the past. What if it's an investment property? Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love flipping what we're looking at for a second, right? And how can how can this clause benefit us? So that's a think ultimately that we need to evaluate here, right? Exactly. Exactly. I love how you set that up. How can it benefit us? So as an investment property buyer, um, I would look for opportunities to create instant cash flow or a cash flow boost because there's a lot of cash flow going out. How do, how, how do I save it, right? <laughs> or how do I replenish my, my bank account, if you will? Yeah. And how do I get into that cash flow into my pocket sooner, right? That That's just it. So what we've got here, uh, I love talking about this, the cash flow boost. So here's what it means. I'm going to flip over to a little screen share. And when I'm looking at investment properties and I'm buying a property with a tenant or two tenants, three, 30 tenants in it, One of the things that I didn't realize when I bought my first investment property is a, I'm going to get a few things back from the, from the owner. And if I set it up correctly, I can get a pretty substantial credit on the purchase of that property from the owner. How's that sound? 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. It sounds way better than when you're thinking of it in terms of your usual residential sale when like if the seller had prepaid some property taxes and you have to give them that credit, right? So this is flipping it on the other side, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's a few things that I that I want to do here. And I'm assuming I'm buying a property with, with tenants in it. And there's a couple of things that I'm going to set you up to do as, as an investor that you can share with your clients. A, it, when you close, the day that you close in the month matters. And I'll explain that with some numbers in just a few moments here. But I always want to close in the first third of the month for an investment property. Not, not the second half or not the last third. Because what happens, as we just learned on adjustments, when you close on the property, that adjustment period gets credited to you. So what it, to say it a little bit differently, Dylan, if I buy a property on the fifth of the month, the tenant has already paid his rent or their rent on the first, right? Mm-hmm. I want to get credited for those 25 days of, of that tenancy. If I close on the fifth, see, if I close on the 25th, I'm only going to get five days worth of rent. Exactly. I want as much as possible. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love what you're already doing is you're setting this up for your buyer, your investment buyer that, Hey, here's another way that I'm making sure that I can get you into cash flow a little bit sooner. Right. Exactly. By just being a little bit strategic in how we're picking our closing dates. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the other piece here is and not a lot of people take uh, take this um, opportunity is you can you can change the your mortgage payment date that you make every month. It it does not have to be the first. We just assume it has mm. to be the first. It doesn't have to be. And I like making my mortgage payments the 5th or the 10th every month. In fact, my personal residence, I believe it's the 15th of every month. Why, why do I do that? Especially on investment properties is I want to make sure that my rent's collected before I have any large payments coming out that month, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you've got that tenant that's a day or two late or it always comes in just at the wire. Like there's a, a million reasons where it could be a bit of a headache for you that you're like, oh, I don't have that cash in that account as smoothly as I'd like to, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's let's look at a couple of different uh, pieces of the puzzle here. So uh, my first mortgage payment is due one month later. So as I was, Dylan and I were chatting earlier, see so when we when we rent a house, or an apartment condo, we pay our rent, then we get to stay in it for 30 days. With mortgages, it's, it's the exact opposite. We stay in it for 30 mm-hmm. days, and then we pay for the service that, in the sense that we just had, right? Yeah. So my mortgage yeah. payment, when, when, we bought a, when we buy a house, I close on it today. My first mortgage payment typically isn't for uh, another month, right? Uh, the, the other piece here, as we just talked about, I want to move my mortgage payment from the 1st to the 5th or the 10th, whatever that might be. And as you can see on the slide here, that lender, your, your lender, your, your bank might say, yep, no problem. We can do that, but we're going to do something called an interest adjustment calculation. So you might have to pay interest for those, for instance, 25 days, and that's okay. But if I set it up correctly, my first full mortgage payment, as you can see on the slide here, isn't until two months after I've closed on the property. And I'm going to show you on the next slide uh, the numbers, what those numbers could look like. So let I'm just going to assume something really easy. We close on the Mm -hmm. 5th of August. Uh, Rent is just simple at at $2,000. 25 days is going to get credited to me for $1,600. I'm going to receive another lease payment of $2,000 September 1st and another one October 1st. I've collected $5,600 before I've had to make a mortgage payment. 
Yeah. And so again, talking about the cash flow, like this is phenomenal numbers to look at. And there's something that I've left off of here because when we buy properties and there's last month's rent that gets credited to us as well. So imagine that they also had on file $2,000 of last month's rent. That means that's going to get credited to me as well on, on closing. So in a sense, before I've had my first mortgage payment, I've been able to cre uh, create $7,600. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what I think is what's great about this, Gary, is like you're showing all your knowledge and able to share this with your clients so that it makes their their ability to make a good decision much, much easier because you're showing them the roadmap ahead. Like, hey, this is how this is going to go. This is the next step here. This is what we're going to do here. This is how the cash flow works. This is what your budget's going to be. And it makes it so much easier for them to make that decision and pull the trigger on the purchase in the first place. Absolutely. Right? Which is, which is ultimately what we're here to help them. And we're here to close those deals. And ultimately, they're going to be making more money. You're helping them build wealth now. And I think a lot of people especially a lot of newer agents that don't have the experience and the confidence to convey all of this. It makes it harder for their clients to actually go through with those purchases sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I'll guarantee you, uh, there are very, very few realtors that understand it at this level. And if you can comprehend mm -hmm. it and, and be able to um, share this knowledge with your clients, we always say, how can you stand out from the crowd? trust me, you will stand out from the crowd. And, and uh, we're working on a lot more information uh, from this perspective to help our, our agents out and to educate our agents over the next number of months. And we're going to talk a lot mm -hmm. more about this type of stuff. Uh, this, this will set you apart from the crowd and being able to educate your clients because it's one thing to say, Hey, this is a great property. It's got two units. Here's the total amount of income. But when you can start analyzing things like this at this level, uh, you are, uh, you are definitely setting not only yourself up, but more importantly, your clients up for success, right? Yeah. And to, to talk about what you're hinting about, you know, with having more of this type of information available to our agents, it's not just for you and your clients, like the ability so that, more of our agents can be doing this for themselves, right? Really have that wealth potential for yourself and showing you the way. Um, and I, I, Gary, I think we're all always grateful for when you and Marvin start sharing this type of information because it allows more insight for us to say, hey, look, this is how you can help your clients and ultimately yourselves if you choose to. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can tell I love teaching it and talking about it because uh, it's a passion of, of mine and I don't know Marvin's and, and other people. Uh, it's, it you know, it allows us to share our knowledge, but it allows us to, to see other people generate wealth and success for others too, which is really, really cool. Thanks, Michelle. I like the kind words there. Yeah. It is a simple strategic strategy. Like it, it really is simple when this is just what happens. Right. And, and a lot of times this happens and we were like, what, what just happened the last couple of months? I, I, I don't know where all this money came from or how it got there. And now we can better prepare our clients to say, this is the expectation uh, let's make sure that we, we get the, that expectation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Okay. Let's, that was a, that was a great share. Let's move on. Uh, where are we going now? Vacant land. Okay. So why don't you kind of lead this? You feel free to ask me questions. I might ask you a few, but, uh, vacant land is something that, as you said earlier off the top, 
we're seeing more and more of because how do I build that dream home or, or other opportunities that come up, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's come up a lot more in our coaching program. We're seeing more agents talk about it on our Facebook groups. Uh, and just to give that little bit of background of why I think it's happening is because we are seeing such low inventory. People can expand their boundaries for where they where they want to live, where they can live in relation to work. Um, and so if you can't find your dream home, why don't you build it? Right. And that's just popping up a little bit more. But the challenge then becomes for a lot of agents that don't deal with vacant land deals is where do I start? You know, what do I got to make sure that I'm covering to protect my client, not just in the actual transaction itself, but to make sure whatever their future use plan is for that property, that they're not going to find an uh-oh or an oopsies down the road that we're making sure we're doing our due diligence up front. So why don't I throw it to you and just say, where, where would you start with a client that says they want to purchase vacant land? Great question. And the, the first question I would ask that client, that buyer is, A, have they purchased vacant land in the past? Because mm -hmm. if they have, that's a different conversation, perhaps a more advanced conversation. And if they have it, yep. um, simply ask, well, what do you know about buying vacant land? And, 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 you know, gauge of where their education level is and then start filling in those gaps or those holes and, and, and taking it from there because, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone believes they understand how they're going to buy vacant land. However, there's a thousand questions and, and um, due diligence that you have to do. So the first and foremost, before you even get past, this is awesome, I love your idea, what they have to understand is they're not going to get financing on vacant land. Mm -hmm. So that yeah. all of a sudden, right, becomes a cash purchase. And they've never, they've never even assumed that before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's step, well, we talked about a couple of step ones, but we're talking about stuff right off the hop here. Like how, how do we make this actually happen? Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and like I said, they may not have assumed that they thought they could go to the bank and get it. Now there's different ways to, to purchase that property with borrowed funds. And usually the way people do that is with a home equity line of credit. That would be, you know, what most investors, buyers, developers, in a sense would, would default to is, is the, your home equity line of credit, but they mm -hmm. need to understand that they're not going to be able to walk into their local bank or mortgage broker and get a mortgage on that because there's nothing to mortgage. There has to be a physical building or an asset for a bank to, to, uh, to provide a mortgage on. Now there's private lending and so forth, but that's, that's down yeah. the road or that's a different conversation. So let's say that we've we've had that initial conversation and we found out that they have the financial ability to make this happen. What do you do next? Yeah, great question. What do they want to do? What do they want to build? I want to we'll use your scenario. I built my dream home. Awesome. Perfect. And then you start narrowing down. Well, what does that look like? Is that in town or is that out of town? Mm -hmm. Right. And and let's talk in town first. Uh, the next question is, OK, well. There's going to be a few things that come come up when you're buying vacant land in town. So, for instance, has a house ever been built on that land before? If the answer is no, there's going to be something called development charges. And every mm -hmm. city has them. And they're really, really easy to find. Uh, just go on your local government or local, yeah, government city website, whether, whether it's Newmarket, Toronto, you name it, Barrie, uh, they have them there and it's the development charges and it'll be very specific of what they are. You can basically get it down to the dollar, <clears throat> excuse me, and there's going to be like the provincial piece of it 
and then there's going to be the um, the local piece of it. And it, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, it averages Dylan probably anywhere right now from about fifty thousand to sixty five thousand before you even put a shovel in the ground. And right. And so now we're not even talking about servicing that piece of land yet. Are we, or is that, is that included in those development charges? Depending on where you're talking and where you're looking, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. So that's a great, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up. Usually it's going to cover some of those charges or bringing the services in. Now, especially if it's in town, the next question that you have to ask is what services are available, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you get into some of the, the older parts of some of the cities, they, there's, there's no gas there, for instance. So now you're, now you got to come up with alternate solutions, but if, I'd say 90% of the time, 95% of the time in, in the city centers, you're going to have gas, you're going to have water, you're going to have sewer, but you got to make sure that they're all attainable and you can hook up to those services really easily because if it's around the corner or if it's stopped at your lot line, you're going to have to pay extra. I'm, I'm using my arm. You just can't see it. Yeah, you yeah. have to pay extra for that, for, for that square footage to be, or linear footage to be dropped into your lot. So there's lots of questions around that. Yeah. The other piece to it as well is and is is the lot size coverage. So what's the maximum size of home that you can build on that on that lot? And then you start to get into what are the setbacks and setbacks typically means how many feet or meters does the home have to be before the lot line, right? And and that's that's an mm-hmm. any subdivision and so forth, but as you can see, there's lots of questions that you need to get answered. And a lot of those can be answered really quickly by doing a quick Google search on that local city's website. The, the best thing to do as you get some of that early information is go into that planning department and actually say, hey, I'm looking at buying, you know, one, two, three Main Street, which is a vacant lot. What can you tell me about it? And they'll start pulling out the information for you on that. Yeah, I remember doing that a lot with CEASE when we first start, when I first got licensed and going into the Richmond Hill offices and the amount of information that you would get just by with the person on the other side of that counter when they bring out all the different like site plans and everything and start running through what was allowed, what wasn't allowed. Uh, you know, it was always very interesting and such a great exercise. And ultimately for your client, you're going to have to do that due diligence as well. Um, and just a, a funny little one to share some of the things that you don't think about all the time is height restrictions Yeah. and height restrictions can be, um, you know, standard and you think, well, there's a big house over there so I can, I can build the same height. It's just fine. But a lot of the time that height is taken from the center of the street. And if one side of the street is higher than the other side of the street, you can run into a problem. We ha- we had that there in the mill pond one time where one side of the street was quite a bit higher the way it was set back on the road. And so the height restrictions for what our client wanted to build on the property, he just couldn't build what he wanted. It would have been too low for what he was looking for because his side of the street was higher than the center of the other side of the street. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah there you go. So again, things things that can pop up, right? Well, that's just it. And when we were chatting earlier, if you haven't gone through some of this stuff before, you wouldn't know to look for that or you wouldn't know to ask that type of thing. So that's why, you know, asking and having conversations with agents that have purchased land before and, and just mm-hmm. getting into those circles is really, really important. Really, really important. Yeah. Um, going into those planning, planning departments, it's really easy to do. Don't be intimidated. Agents walk in there. People walk in there all the time asking questions and you simply, you know, Hey, I'm Gary with Keller, Gary, uh, who uh, Keller Williams and, <laughs> uh, and, and just say, I'm looking for some information and, and they're always typically quite happy to help 
and uh, and and sometimes if the property is listed, you get some interesting information from the people behind the counter, like you're, hey, you're the first person to ask about this property, or you're the one thousandth person to ask about yes. this property, right? Yes, very true. We, we, I've experienced that before as well. Yeah, yeah, very good, very very good. Uh, yeah, and Michelle King has a great comment here too. Um, depending on where you're building, the exterior finishes of the building uh, will have, could have a major impact. So if it's in an area where there's a lot of century homes, or I should rephrase mm -hmm. that to heritage homes, uh, you yep. may have to follow suit in a sense of what that look. Great point, Michelle, uh, of what that looks like and, and following, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the heritage aspect of it and, and so forth. But um, the other, sorry, go ahead, Dylan. I was just going to say a lot of times your client's going to be looking for what we call a minor variance as well, where certain setbacks and allowances that are, are laid out by the town sometimes get allowed this minor variance. So you can build that little bit bigger or that little bit closer to one side. And it though previous homes in a neighborhood may have gotten those minor variances, you have to be very cautious about suggesting, well, hey, look, they got it so we can likely get it too. Because sometimes what we've also seen is certain uh, neighborhoods you might have residents that put up a stronger fight at the meetings for those minor variances. So you need to kind of get a feel for what's going on in the neighborhood as well. And I'd suggest that you actually go to some of those town meetings and see what those look like, especially if you're interested in that neighborhood for where you're going to be building. So you have an idea of what kind of pushback you may be getting for what it is that you want to build. Yeah. Well said, well said. Um, perhaps the, 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 the last piece of the puzzle here too is, is rural property. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the same questions would, you know, you need to provide that due diligence period for, uh, but now you're getting into uh, properties that don't have the same type of services, as you know, mm -hmm. so there may not be sewers available. They may in rural property, they may not be gas available as well. Although, you know, that's getting better and better depending on where we're looking. And when it comes to uh, property, you know, of course now, there won't be water available. So what does that look like? And and if there's lots of homes around the area, well, typically there's probably good water tables there. And if you're looking in the Stovall area, I've lived here for almost my entire life, there's water basically 30 feet down. <laughs> like, there's a lot of water, <laughs> but you, that's where it takes to get to know the area and, uh, and, and understand that piece as well. The other piece that I ran into when I was selling a land assembly actually in Markham years ago was... They, they were older homes, much really old homes, I should say, that were not 100% service. So the only thing that they had was, I believe, gas. There was no sewer and there was no water, which meant there was well and there were, there were sewer, or sorry, septics. Septic, yeah. However, if somebody wanted to redevelop those properties and put up more and intensify the density, here's what I learned. In, at least in the city of Markham, or the township of Markham, that you could not build a new septic system for a new home if the property was less than one meter, or sorry, one acre. <laughs> one meter, that would be a problem. Uh, uh, On many fronts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's a lot of jokes but, there, yeah. But with the one acre, that's still, that's so unique. Like I, I wouldn't have thought that that would come up, that you wouldn't be able to do that, even though it already exists on the property that you can't, I guess, either extend or replace, well, right? If it, if it exists, it can be replaced. But if you want okay. to take that lot that was already 200 feet wide by, say, 300 feet, you're thinking, there's there's two lots here. I, I want to subdivide this. 
they, there's it couldn't because it was less than than one acre in um, mm-hmm. in space. So there's different different things like that that pop up when you, when you're looking at buying vacant land that perhaps you know the, the buyer wouldn't think about. It. Like I got all this space here, I don't need an acre or an acre and a half. I want to subdivide it. Yeah. And even setting expectations for your sellers when you're listing a property like that, where they think they could sever, they're like, hey, look, I've got two fantastic lots here. I'm going to be, you know, 75 by 200 deep still, like on both of them. Let's let's sell this at this price. And then realizing that you can't do that, you know, that changes the future value of that property. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Very good. Very good. I think what else could we talk about vacant land? I think we kind of summed everything up. Basically, if I was to sum it all up in, in a you know, in one sentence, go ask the planning department as many questions as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get, seek first to understand as always, you know, first learn about the, the knowledge level of your client, find out what they want to do with the property and then start really digging deep with the town and find out what restrictions you have and what's possible. Right. And then of course, always, always look to others. If you, if you aren't familiar with this type of transaction, you don't know what you don't know. So ask others and, and start learning that, right? Yeah. And it, and go to those town meetings. <laughs> yeah, go to those town meetings. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, the next thing that we thought we'd talk about is stats. Now, we're not going to bore you and bring, bring stats up and look at them. We do that enough. <laughs> but, um, and, and Jen and I have talked about this in the past too, but it's really important here, Dylan, is as we, as we talked about, how to look at the stats, but more importantly, you know, how to share those stats and, and, and how to talk to them with our clients. So what, when you're, when you're talking stats, wh- where do you start with a client, especially yeah. whether it's a buyer or seller? Yeah. Uh, well, first let me say, I love stats. I'm a big stats guy. Every month I go to the, uh, to the, the Treb market report and I put it into my own spreadsheet that I have here on my computer and I track everything. So I'm tracking month to month and I've tracked it back over the last like seven years now. I think 2013, 2014 is where I started with a bunch of it. Um, So I like being able to show those seasonal trends, those year over year trends. Uh, And I think giving, giving an overview snapshot just as a quick glance for my clients before I start narrowing down into the the market segment that matches them best um, is probably the route that I take because I like to give them a nice broad picture and then focus down to what's important to them. Um, and I start broad usually because the broad numbers are what's being reported in the news. So I'm giving them numbers that they've heard before. So again, it's a little bit more credibility they understand. And then that way, when I focus in on the specific ones, they're not like, well, these numbers don't make sense because this isn't what I've been hearing. So I reaffirm first and then narrow down to the stuff that's most important to them. I like that reaffirm first. And in, in some cases, you know, we can only assume where they're getting their information from. And as you know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure many of you have learned um, a lot of that information is your second, third or fourth hand. And and it's not quite accurate anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's good to sometimes just either, you know, if you have it on your laptop or it's, it's printed off, however it looks, have it in front of you. Um, And, and if you, if you're like Dylan and, and me to an extent as well, if you're doing them constantly, Here's here's the thing that I learned, Dylan. You will surprise yourself at, with the information you have up here when you are talking yeah. to buyers and sellers, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a, especially like say you're learning a new neighborhood as well. 
when you start following that stuff like month over month, you get a good feel for what the turnover is in the area. Our home selling typically over the asking price. Like I can I can find out if a neighborhood is um, is if the norm is to hold offers by the most part just by looking at the stats on it, are the majority of homes selling over the asking price. Well, if they are, then I know that the strategy for the most part is that agents are holding offers on there, right? And of course, I'll look through it and I'll I'll check all those individual listings out for my CMAs, but I can figure that out before I even have to look at a listing to know what's going on in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, and. I'd say too, before you get to the the stats of everything Mm -hmm. is it's hard to, especially if you're working with a buyer or a seller, I say it's hard to sit down and maybe one of your first or second conversations is, well, let's look at the stats because I don't think you spent enough time and maybe you have uh, getting to know them and understanding how they like to receive and, and, and digest information because for some, they love looking at those spreadsheets, right? Yeah. And, and others, yeah. just show me just show me a big graph with some pretty pictures yeah. on it and I'm good. I got all the information, right? So yeah. it's important. To or don't show me anything at all. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like yeah. you got you gotta know who you're talking to and you can easily lose a client by taking the wrong approach in that sense. Cause they're like, this person just isn't for me. They're just not they're not sharing the information that I want. They may not even be able to articulate it, but they'll know that you're not a match. Exactly. Um, and so Nailed I nailed it. I, I think that when looking at your buyer and seller appointments, that you got to look at them as consultations instead of presentations, that you shouldn't be the one dominating time of possession. You should be doing more of the question asking and then letting the client talk, especially at the beginning as you as you learn more about them, showing that you care, that you care, actually asking what's important about this move and how do we, what does success look like? What on closing day, when you get your keys, what, what is perfect, you know, like finding out all that kind of information first, you don't need to worry about what your presentation aspect is. If you're genuinely there to consult and and serve the client at a high level. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, um, you know, I do have, and, and I know Mike Russo uses it and others use it an actual listing or a marketing presentation. Really all it is, is I know what I need to say. However, it's a conversation and you can't have a conversation if you're not asking questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not to say that, of course, we still need to share that information. It's just about how much time do you spend on it? How deep do you need to go? And all that will depend on the feel that you've got from the client based on your initial uh, conversations. Yeah, yeah. And every client's going to need different style and type of and in depth of information and you yeah. might think well you know gary's an investor i'm sure he just loves all the stats and the numbers and everything like that that sometimes is the case but there's other yeah. factors too right and and if you think you're working with an investor and you got to have you know an encyclopedia size full of of information and stats that's not always the case either right mm-hmm. it, it's really about the opportunity and if you can present the opportunity uh, that's what people were, are going to jump at for sure. So yeah, stats, stats I, are important, but knowing who to and how to um, present them, that's probably more important. Yeah, absolutely. If I was going to give kind of like an overview of, of what's important for maybe working with your buyer or working with your seller is focus obviously on the neighborhood that they're most interested in finding what kind of turnover rate there is, like how many homes are selling a month, how many homes are available for sale, looking at the average prices, days on market, percentage of asking price, that kind of stuff. And you can get all that pretty simply. And it's very easy to convey in a short graphic or a short conversation where you're not going to inundate somebody with information that they don't need. 
Uh, and then for your stats heavy guys, you can dig a lot deeper and put a lot more together. And they'll, they'll be so grateful that you did it. They'll know that you care because that's what they were asking for. That's what they were looking for. And a lot of them, whether it's the person that's very detail oriented or the person that isn't detail oriented, there's some little hurdle or hump that you need to reassure them about before they're ready to make their de decision, right? Before they're ready to take the next step. So for the stats guy, maybe it's seeing the stats. And for the person that wants to just know that it's a great neighborhood, maybe it's being in the neighborhood, seeing the people in there, like those, whatever the hump is, you got to find out what it is and get over it and they'll be ready to make the decision. Yeah, absolutely. Michelle has a good reminder here too. And, and it is it definitely for me, it's sometimes hard to talk less and listen more. And I've had a few of those lessons over the years. You know, there, there's a lot of the times where people don't want um, a guest speaker in their house. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. <laughs> like you're not there uh, to, you're there to educate, but, but you, you know, they, they don't want that presentation. They just want to sit down, chill, learn about the market. And, and they're not looking for somebody to do this big, you know, university style lecture or anything like that. Right? Absolutely. I feel like most people aren't, let's be honest. <laughs> most yeah. people aren't the ones that are looking for that. Right. So, uh, you know, take a look at what your consultation consists of and, and what kind of materials you have and, and just make sure that you're not spending too much time, you know, talking about one thing or that you're taking time as a possession, make sure that they've got a lot of chance to share their input and make sure that they know that they were heard as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, we've got lots of stuff um, coming up over the next, uh, definitely over the next two days. And uh, Thursday, uh, whether you can meet with us in person for our first team meeting in a year and a half, or you're going to be watching with us online, we are tremendously excited for it. Dylan and I have been working on the stream aspect of it, and uh, we've got some huge things that we're announcing on Thursday. Uh, things, Dylan, as you know, that are going to support the brokerage, more importantly, support our agents, right? Like it's, it's, it's out of this world stuff. It's really, really exciting. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. To, to start at the very top, I'm just so excited to see everybody in person again. I think a lot of us have been missing that. Um, I can share that we've been to the venue a couple of times now to check it out and get stuff set up and we've got the entire space there's lots of space between tables. I think we're following all the guidelines. So for those that do feel comfortable, we really look forward to seeing you. Uh, and then all the announcements, like our, our brokerage just goes above and beyond in trying to serve our agents and making sure that everybody's looked after. Uh, and I know that there's some big announcements coming in that terms. And I'm, I think everybody, I'm really looking forward to everybody hearing them. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And, and not only hearing them, but taking them and definitely over the next weeks to months and, and farther uh, implementing uh, some of the new tools that we're going to have at mm -hmm. our fingertips as well. And, you know, again, we're, we're, we're here as a brokerage and leadership team, support team to, to see our agents grow their businesses and, and it's, it's success through, through others and success through numbers. And we're, we're pumped of what, the next number of months look like. So put your seatbelt on. We're going to have a fun yeah. ride. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we look forward to seeing you guys there, whether in person or watching us live on the stream. Uh, we're just really excited to share this with the brokerage and, and, you know, keep going forward. Like our, our brokerage is so built towards growth and creating these uh, opportunities for each other. So I'm just really looking forward to this big event. That's going to, you know, kickstart that again. Absolutely. Absolutely. My friend. So, um, for 
the other Silbernagel, Dylan Silbernagel. I'm Gary McGowan. You can always catch us on your favorite podcast player of choice. Uh, we'll see everybody either online on Thursday afternoon for the team meeting or in person. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next show. Bye for now.